I'm a war baby. I was born straight into a war. And then they yanked me out of that war and planted me in Alabama. Tang Hao Lai is the author of Inside Out and Back Again, a middle grade story in prose poems based on the author's life. It's told from the perspective of Ha, a 10-year-old Vietnamese girl born into war. Ha and her family become refugees and are relocated to Alabama. Published in 2011, Inside Out and Back Again became a New York Times bestseller and won the Newbery Honor Award and the National Book Award. That first poem where Ha is talking about the new year, basically it's everybody's birthday, even if it's not your birthday. Rajni LaRocca is the author of Red, White and Whole, a novel in verse that came out in 2021 about an Indian American girl whose life is turned upside down when her mother is diagnosed with leukemia. And how her mother says male feet have to touch the ground first because only male feet can bring the blessings. And she (laughs) sticks her foot out of bed and just touches the ground with her toe. And nobody knows. It's like a secret between the reader and Ha. I was like, oh my goodness, (laughs) this is amazing. I mean, what a way to portray character, right? You know exactly who this girl is, right? I love how imperfect she is and in her imperfectness is so relatable and charismatic. This is Jasmine Warga, author of Other Words for Home, a 2019 novel, also in free verse, about a family of Syrian refugees. Particularly there's that scene when they're leaving Saigon uh, on the boat and she talks about how hungry she is and how she wants snacks. Routine. Mother cannot allow idle children, hers or anyone else's. After one week on the ship, Brother Guang begins English lessons. I wish you would keep it too. How are you? This is a pen. But when an adult is not here, he says, we must consider the shame of abandoning our own country and begging toward the unknown where we will all begin again at the lowest level on the social scale. It's better in the afternoons with Brother Vu who just wants us to do front kicks and back kicks, at times adding one-two punches. Brother Koi gets to monitor lines for the bathrooms where bottoms stick out to the sea behind blankets blowing in the wind. When not in class, I have to stay with inside of Mother like a baby. Mother gives me her writing pad. Write tiny, there's but one pad. Writing becomes boring, so I draw over my words. Pouches of fan-fried shredded coconut, tamarind paste on banana leaf, steamed corn on the cob, rounds of fried dough, wedges of pineapple on a stick, and of course, cubes of papaya, tender and shiny. Mother smooths back my hair, knowing the pain of a girl who loves snacks but is stranded on a ship. And it just felt like such a, what could have been almost like an overly dramatic moment is brought back into that really authentic adolescent viewpoint that makes you feel like you're really right there with her. People expect her story to be sad, Tang Ha says, but the rare moments of sadness in the book exist alongside many moments of humor and levity. Tang Ha says this is because she was not inventing this story for an audience. She actually lived it. I simply just very factually describe what was important to me 
as a 10-year-old inside a war. Snacks were important, fighting with my brothers were important, getting to school on time was important, ranking first in class was important. You know, none of that had to do with the war. We saw some war on TV, but we're like, oh, it's on TV, it's not even real. There were soldiers running around the street, but you know, if you grew up seeing soldiers in the street, you just kind of see soldiers in the street. I went to school, I ate my snacks, I washed my you know, uniform, I ironed my uniform. I just did all these things that were very natural. And so when you live inside of war, you don't have time to be anxious and hyper about it every second of the day. You, you wouldn't be able to function. We function within the horror of it. So it's just like living in the United States now. There are school shootings, but you know, I still send my child to school. Since kids live in the moment, they're able to find pleasure in the immediate. Parents who have observed their kids through the pandemic might have witnessed this phenomenon. On the ship to Guam, for example, after Tang Han and her family were evacuated from Saigon, I got to see whales and dolphins and they were following our our ship and I got to lean over the side and look at the waves and I got to brush my teeth with salt water and it was very exciting. Now, I was 10. Did I know that the adults were stressing out about where they're going to live and how they're going to make a living and how they're going to feed their children? I didn't have any of those worries. In fact, Tang Ha says that the United States bewildered her more than her experiences in Vietnam during the war. The war didn't bother me because I was born right into it. I know it's shocking to hear. It was Alabama that whipped me. My goodness. They took away my language, my food, my friends, my climate, my clothes. They took away everything. And everything was so brand new that that was the shock of my life. The protagonist Ha and her family come to live with an American sponsor for a while. In this poem, Ha, ever the food lover, has to pretend to love the food. American chicken. Brother Kwong forces a swallow before explaining. We are used to fresh killed chicken that roam the yard, snacking on grains and worms. Such meat grows tight in texture, smelling of meadows and tasting sweet. I bite down on a thigh. Might as well bite down on bread soaked in water. Still, I force yum yum sounds. I hope to ride the horse our cowboy surely has. August 20th. In Alabama, Ha's mother is adamant about her children learning English. Third rule, always an exception. Do not add an S to certain nouns. One deer, two deer. Why no S for two deer, but an S for two monkeys? Brother Kwong says no one knows. So much for rules. Whoever invented English should be bitten by a snake. August 26th. Jasmine Warga. This is something like I watched my father struggle with. A lot when I was a kid of always wanting to make like, you know, cheesecakes, plural, but not understanding why the the S's were there and things like that. If you say two house, well, the two denote two, and so you don't have to pluralize the houses. You know what I mean? It's just a lot of extra hissing. Ha, the protagonist, learns English as Tang Ha, the author, did. And while Tang Ha is a trained journalist, she credits her Vietnamese brain for her pivot to prose poems for Inside Out and Back Again. It thinks in quick sharp imagery phrases, you know, just full of color, full of images, is because Vietnamese is derived from Chinese and Chinese is not written in letters, it's written in characters. And so the the whole language itself is poetry. 
I thought English is the language for school and for business and for all the factual stuff that you do in life. But if you wanted to slip into your subconscious, your kind of dreamy self, you know, where you're floating on clouds and drinking cucumber water, then you you float into Vietnamese. I lucked out with my mother. Her language to me is just like stepping on cotton balls when you're around her. Everything is just kind of soft and pillowy and floaty. And even when she's yelling at me, it's pretty. And I only spoke Vietnamese to her basically throughout my whole life. So to me, Vietnamese is my mother and my mother is a poet. So Vietnamese is poems and it all kind of all grafted together. Like Tang Ha, Jasmine and Rajni's books both feature families who cross borders to find homes in the United States. And, like Tang Ha, both structure their narratives in prose poems. I asked Jasmine what inspired her use of the poetic form in other words for home. But I think what I was going off of is actually the speech pattern of my relatives where Arabic is their first language, but how they speak in English. There's a lot of like colorful phrases that they use. And it's also a culture that really exalts poetry from like Rumi and like the Quran is basically written in poetry. I was just thinking about the ways that like my uncle or my father would phrase things, which is different than my Southern Ohio way of, of phrasing things. And so I wanted to kind of capture, like I said, all that like texture and cadence. For Rajni, the white space in poetry and the way that sparseness energizes every word allowed her to tackle some of her protagonist Reha's nuanced feelings of living across two cultures. Her poem, Do You Speak Indian, from Red, White and Whole is a perfect example. It's one of those moments that I think poetry can capture much more easily than prose because this is a nuanced moment. Reha hears her classmate ask her this question, do you speak Indian? And she has about 10 thoughts going on at the same time, right? There is nuance to this. It's not just that, oh, this classmate of mine doesn't understand that there's so many people from so many different parts of India who speak different languages, have different cultures, different customs, eat different food. There's no way that you could boil it all down to just Indian, right? But the flip side of that is that she isn't tied to those languages anymore, that she only speaks them at home. And, you know, the version she speaks at home is like super simplified. And that for the most part, she speaks English to her parents. And that when she reaches for a foreign language in her mind, all that comes to mind is French, which is what she learns in school. And all of these thoughts are swirling in her head at the same time. And all she can think to say out loud is no. And poetry can do that. And I think that because some things are still left unsaid on the page, the reader can fill in the blanks with whatever their perspective is. In other words, for home, political protests in Syria, born of the Arab Spring, have swelled into a revolution and volatility has hit the usually sleepy hometown of Jude, a 12-year-old girl and her family. As a result, Jude and her pregnant mother relocate to Cincinnati where they have relatives, leaving behind her brother and father. Jasmine drew inspiration from close to home. In like the summer of, of 2013, I was at dinner at close family friends of my family who are 
Syrian. They're Syrian American. And it was to introduce me and my family to all of these new members of this family that I never met before because they'd recently come over uh, from Syria to Cincinnati because of the, the growing conflict in Syria. And I was thinking about what it would have been like for me when I was a young person, if my cousins from the Middle East had come over to live with me in Ohio because of all the complicated feelings I had about my identity. When I was a kid, I was made to feel really ashamed of being Arab and really ashamed of coming from a Muslim family. The media I absorbed made me think I had to choose between my Arabness and my Americanness and my Muslimness and my Americanness. And I think it made me dig deep into our country's immense Islamophobia that I think starts with our media coverage of the Middle East. And so I was hoping um, in this book to tell a different story. America is a major change for Jude, but soon Jude makes friends and is trying out for a role in the school play. I didn't want it to just be a story about how difficult it is to be of that identity in the United States, but also to, to talk about in the ways in which these communities are vibrant and thriving and, and the kids are doing amazing things. Again, I'm always interested in, in those tension points, right, of how, how both emotions can exist. I liked thinking of kind of Sarah, Jude, and Leela as all being in conversation of all the different ways that the Arab and Muslim community is diverse. It's not a monolithic community. In Red, White, and Whole, the protagonist Reha feels caught between the Indian culture of her family life and the American culture of her school life. And this tension ratchets up as her mother, who works in the hematology lab at the hospital, gets sick with leukemia. The idea for the book came to me as a metaphor. And the metaphor was of blood and all that it means in terms of biology and family and community. And so I had kind of a general idea that there was a girl who grew up around the same time that I did, who experienced some of the same pulls in different directions that I did when I was a kid. For an English project, she gets paired with a very cute and smart boy named Pete and has to negotiate the beginnings of maybe dating? Rehan notices that he kind of speaks up in class and is not afraid to say things that aren't what everyone else is saying. And she thinks that's kind of cool also because she doesn't feel like she has the courage to do that. When Reha's mom gets really sick and she feels like she needs to be virtuous or act like her parents would want her to act, and that includes cutting Pete out of her life, and he calls her on it, that's a really important moment for Reha to kind of realize that she's constructing a lot of these rules in her own mind. Over the course of the book, Reha's two communities come together to care for her through a hard time, and she learns that she belongs fully in both worlds. I asked Rajni how she got into Reha's youthful point of view. I would listen to music from the era. I knew I was setting it in the early 80s. And, <laughs> and I didn't necessarily write anything, but I just thought about my character a lot. And then I took a lot of notes about the kinds of things that I wanted to write about. There was a really long lead up to me actually writing any poetry. And I think that helped. And Jasmine, how did she find Jude's voice? So it's like, letting that messiness of the kid perspective like take charge and kind of lead with that it's not naivety so much as it's a different kind of wisdom that kids have of being really present 
I look back at like my own writings and drawings from that age and see, you know, how I was inquisitive about really big topics and and did think a lot about issues of like inequality and, and all of those ideas while also still drawing, you know, unicorns and, and still drawing, you know, trees that had like magical portals in them and things like that. And, and and there's that moment, right, of the sledding scene where I think she says something along the lines of it's really hard to think in two languages when your feet are freezing. And I found my way into that line. I had so many of my own adult thoughts of, of, of how uncomfortable I feel like I would feel, you know, I felt like the the uncool girl many, many times, but to, to be standing there at this sledding hill, peeling it back to really get into that childhood voice and that childhood wonder. Last thing I'll say, which a good writer friend of mine taught me, is that to try to find like a bottle of like the shampoo or body lotion you used when you were a kid because smell memory is so strong and that can kind of bring you back and bring back a lot of those memories. Tang Ha says there are ways to blend a youthful point of view with heavier material, like war, the fall of South Vietnam, or racism and bigotry. 10 is that magical age before puberty, and yet you're able to perceive a lot of the adult world. You're able to start to process it. What does war mean? Why is your mom stressed out? What does this move mean to my mom, in addition to me and to my brothers and to my sisters? I needed to have other characters say things to her that she may not understand yet because Brother Guang is forever, forever philosophizing about war and life and whatever else. She doesn't understand what he's saying and she kind of makes fun of him, but the audience will understand, the readers will understand. War is the engine that makes refugees. As a refugee herself, Tang Ha wanted to be very clear-eyed in Inside Out and Back Again about the specifics of the experience. You hear on TV when people are interviewed, refugees are interviewed, they would say something like, I come here for freedom. Well, what does that mean? For her mother, it meant sending her children to college, something she wouldn't be able to do once South Vietnam collapsed. Naturally, the ones who would be going to college would not be us. We were on the losing side. It would be the children of the communist officials who fought for the winning side. And my mom knew this. And so then how do you set your children's lives up? Well, then the only way to do it once you're on the losing side of the war, and we were, is to leave. It didn't matter what country, it didn't matter what language we had to learn, we would learn it. What mattered was that would they be let in? And once they had made their grades or whatever it is they need to do, would they be left alone to just study? It sounds so easy, it sounds almost like a fantasy, but it actually happened. She got us to the United States, we did what we were supposed to do, we got scholarships, and off we went. And it wasn't just us, many refugees did this. And what about when the United States is involved in the war that led to the displacement of people? This was as true in Vietnam 50 years ago as it is today in Afghanistan. It's just so unconscionable that we engage uh, in violence and destabilizing of regions and countries and then also want to throw up our hands and not have any culpability in what to do with the people whose lives we've upended, who like Jude and Ha, who are caught in the fray of it. They're not uh, participants. And so I hope that both of these books encourage uh, young people to be better citizens of our country and of the world, of wanting to, to welcome 
other people in and to encourage generosity and generosity of spirit and how we can all always be more generous and how we can all always have a little bit of a, of a larger heart. And what does that do? And hopefully in Jude, kids will see themselves. We all have dreams and we all have things that we want to achieve and we all want to be seen. Jasmine also wants more books that center kids who are usually in the margins. She felt encouraged at a recent school visit. Lots of girls came who had heard about the book because of, I think it was like an interview or a feature that had been done on the Muslim Girl website. And they came to the book signing and a lot of them were wearing their headscarves and they were like teary holding the book. And that made me teary that they were really seeing themselves in Jude. Middle grade is a time when readers can be especially moved by the books they pick up. Rajni had a school visit to a community that had recently suffered a local tragedy. The kids were so amazing. They said, sometimes when you feel sad, do you read sad stories to help with that? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And then I said, sometimes when I feel sad, I also write sad stories. But while writing it, I realized that I've made myself happy. We humans are resilient creatures. We are always looking for something good to find in the midst of really dark times. That's what the the hardest part of this whole pandemic has been, is that it just seems to be going on forever. But wow, when we find those moments of joy, we just have to hold on to them. In one sense, borders are a fiction made up by winners of wars. In another sense, borders have a very real impact on the lives of the people who cross them, often as a result of those wars. In today's political climate, news reports about immigration and refugees often reach us through a fog of xenophobia. But the truth of crossing borders is in the smallest details of people's lives and in the white space between those details. The truth of crossing borders is in Ha's longing for juicy papaya, in the word terrorist spray-painted on a Middle Eastern restaurant in Jude's community. In the way someone asks if Reha speaks Indian and all she can say is, no. Books can center these often marginalized kids and can inspire the rest of us to decenter ourselves, to listen better, and to be more intentional with our welcome signs. Stories like these remind all readers that just by being mindful of the way we treat each other, we can make the world anew every day. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you think on Twitter at ReadingPod. That's R-E-A-D-I-N-G-P-O-D. Or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and learn more about the show by visiting rememberreading.com. This episode of Remember Reading is produced by my colleagues at HarperCollins, Nellie Kurtzman, Vishali Nayak, Nicole Wills, Shannon Cox, and Lauren Levite. We'd like to thank editors Tara Wycombe, Alex Cooper, and Alessandra Balzer. And special thanks to Podfly for their production support. I'm Katie Dutton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>